Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Hi, and welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today we have Jenny Glick, and she will be helping us understand quite a few things about energy and her own journey. And we'll get into what Jenny does today more as we go. Jenny, you want to introduce yourself and maybe start with who you were as a kid? You know, what's <laughs> what's the really beautiful energy that is Jenny? So to introduce myself, my name is Jenny Glick. I'm a mentor for women, men, and couples in midlife who are in a place where they're ready to go deeper and to unhook themselves from practice victim consciousness and live a life of pleasure and desire. So as a child, who was I? I was playful and had a voice and was out there and then learned to be quiet, (laughs) to, to, um, you know, like tie a knot in the fire hose of my vitality, right? Because it was uncomfortable. I asked a lot of questions. I wanted to know why things didn't make sense to me. How come boys get to do this and girls get to do that. And so as a child, I wasn't easy because I figured out how to get my needs met in secret. So I snuck out of the house, you know, as a teenager, Um, but I got straight A's and was on student council, right? So I had like good girl, bad girl happening all at the same time and uh, spent my 20s really in this FU energy to the man, right? So I was a feminist, got a graduate degree in women's studies and was was all about standing up against the injustice, right? So I projected that externally. And now present day, I'm able to see that I created drama from my childhood trauma so that I could be the own, my own hero of my own story right? Which became this pattern in my 20s and 30s. I'll be 50 this year. So I've watched how I've done that, how I created um, the drama of nobody was there to help me or I was oppressed or whatever the thing is. And then I overcame it and I did it myself, right? And so watching that pattern, um, that kind of cyclical pattern Um, as a parent, you know, I have a 21 year old son who has type one diabetes and how we overcame that when he was diagnosed at four. Right. And it's this real typical story, right. Of overcoming the difficulty. Uh, A few months after we were married, my husband, who was a triathlete and a cyclist was T-boned by a vehicle on his bike. And so he was in the hospital, you know, he's never going to walk again. He died. He has the death experience, the white light, the whole thing. And while he was still in the hospital day three, I found out I was pregnant. And so I was 26 and didn't know anything about anything and have a husband who's maybe never going to walk again, going to be in a wheelchair. And then I find out I'm pregnant. And then when our son's born shortly thereafter, he was diagnosed with diabetes. So we had this real like 
suffering struggle, right? That became so much of my identity, which is why I do a lot of the work that I do today, right? Is yeah. um, it was that struggle. And can, can we hear about how your husband did? I feel like I'm hanging on that one. Yeah, how, how is he now? <laughs> 22 years later, actually, we just had his, the anniversary. We call it the anniversary of the, the crash. Um, he was the miracle, right? And here's why I think partially he was on so much, um, you know, pain medication. He did not hear the doctor say that he won't ever walk again. I heard it cause I was there dealing with all the things, but he was in and out of consciousness. And, um, you know, the doctors were very clear with me. He's we're probably not going to keep his legs. So he was hit and thrown 150 feet. Um, on asphalt. So he shouldn't have survived by all, you know, standard um, perspectives. And because he just knew he was going to recover, he had six surgeries and has his legs still. He has a lot of titanium in his body, but um, he does everything with the exception of running. So we were rock climbing partners. That's how we met um, and came together. So we still rock climb together and he he got, he gets on his bike still. He does all this cycling stuff. So he's, he's a miracle. Right. So yeah, that's well, right. wonderful. Mm -hmm. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty miraculous what the mind does, right? <laughs> what it chooses yeah. to hold on to and chooses to disregard. Yeah. So sounds yeah. like some learning there for you, maybe, um, around that situation, huh? Like you, was that the spark that started to get you thinking about this or was it something later? Yeah, it was, it was something later. And so I went on to earn, you know, another graduate degree in marriage, family, and child therapy. We teach what we need to learn. I wasn't a very good married person because quite honestly, I was resentful because yeah. I was 26 and taking care of a dude who used to be super able-bodied and capable. And I was pregnant and sick as anything. And I was like, yeah. this blows. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like yeah. this at all. It doesn't um, sound that fun, really. There was nothing fun about it. Fair. And then the years of medical bills and just all the things. And I was not equipped emotionally to be with that. Um, our sex life was in the toilet, understandably. Right now I can look back and be like, well, yeah, you know. Um, Stress doesn't help. Right. Stress doesn't help. Lack of sleep, you know, medical bills, like I said, you know, the uncertainty of how, how are we going to make a life together? So through my own struggle and, and trying to find the solution outside of me, right? So I couldn't find a couples therapist that could help us. All of the couples therapists who we saw were like, gosh, good luck. That's, <laughs> that sounds really hard, you know? Thank you. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, okay, can I have my money back? Like, <laughs> that's in, it's not super fun. Um, yeah. So then I went into, I got a degree because I'm like, somebody has to know. So I'm going to learn. And then. Um, our sex life wasn't where I wanted it to be either. So I became a certified sex therapist because I couldn't find the answer from sex therapists either. The solutions they were giving me were like, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense. And so through all those years of learning my own maturation, I, I really saw that part of the big problem was I was so addicted to being a victim of my own circumstance which if you knew me, I'm not a victim. Like I take care of stuff. Mm -hmm. I am like yeah. I'm motivated. I'm successful. I run a successful business. I always have. I've been self-employed for 20 years. It, it's so I don't look like a victim, 
right? That's the interesting thing about victim consciousness. But internally, Mm -hmm. the martyrdom, the resentment, the the lack of boundaries, the fine, I'll just do it, that energy, all is that sticky victim um, consciousness that all of us have, right? And so I became an an, um, expert now in helping people uh, sort of sleuth around their lives to see where that victim consciousness continues to lurk and it will show up in your entrepreneurial endeavors, your career, your intimate partnership, your parenting, your relationship with your aging parents. Like it's going to show up in your life somewhere. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's shown up in my life recently. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so amazing just how, if you don't do the work of putting in positive mm. things creep in, you know, then you start to get the negative. And you're like, oh, I guess I was choosing to be a victim again, you know, right. in a, even a small way or a big way. You know, mm-hmm. we're still in a startup mode. Mm-hmm. So we, we have several uh, layers of issues that we're working through and, mm. and you know, around money and sales and different things like that. And, totally. and it's interesting what comes up sometimes. And, you know, I think, again, as an entrepreneur, I think being an entrepreneur, being a parent, and getting into some sort of committed relationship where you live together, have children together, or get married, your shadow is going to come up, right? And what yeah. we, yeah. what most people want to do is blame, you know, clients aren't paying enough money, or my partner isn't a good lover, or they're not patient enough with me. Like we want to point at the other person, but this is what projection is. Like, I can't project until there's a screen in front of me, my business, my marriage, my child yeah. project on. That's why by myself, I'm amazing, right? Like, <laughs> I'm incredible, right? Before the business gets launched, before I start pricing my high ticket offer or whatever, yeah. it is, like yeah. it all feels amazing. And then I always will end up meeting myself. Yeah, right? and that's I love that. Happens. We come face That's to exactly face with right. our, yeah. ourselves. And I don't believe that we're something to like overcome or muscle our way through. We get to show up with a lot of curiosity and wonder and, um, you know, explore these parts that normally we don't want to see. Yeah. And we don't. And the same goes for like our fears, like until we step into that, I call it like our calling, you know, like stepping into our calling, our calling in a relationship, our calling in a business, our calling in you know, being a father or a mother, you know, all of that until we really step into it and acknowledge it and accept and commit to it, then the fears don't really come up and, and the, the victimhood doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that we're, you know, we're never going to not have fear. I don't think I'm ever going to have, I mean, if I assume it, maybe, yeah. you know, like part of being human is being in the, the polarity of, of love and fear, right. Of masculine and feminine and dancing in that place of how do I um, look at fear, partner with fear, recognize death, right. And not allow it to drive me, but come into relation, healthy relationship with it. So I know where it is. And then I'm choosing the part of me that's going to drive the bus of my life. Right. And so that discernment, that choice is where it is that, that we liberate ourselves from being driven um, by that victim consciousness. Right. 
yeah, I'm starting, we're starting to hear a little bit of who you are and how you help people. Um, so how do you, do you like, as you navigate those different choices that are really at the, between being a victim and succeeding in life, um, and being fulfilled, enjoying the moment, all of that. How do you do that from an intuitive standpoint? Is it, is it like what you feel mm-hmm. or do you feel like, how are you an intuitive around all this? Well, so I think first I would say, I don't think it's like being successful or being a victim. A lot of people who are um, married to their victim are very successful, right? Um, yeah. it, it, so I don't think it's an either or. It's it's just an awareness. And so I've come to understand it as a stage of maturation. Uh, you know, many of us kind of do whatever our learning is, whether that's school or apprenticing or self-education. So we do learning in our 20s and 30s, and then we can gain mastery and coast to retirement and doing our contribution. And that's cool, right? Yeah. And and then there are other people, and these are the people who I who tend to you know be drawn to me, who gain some level of mastery in their life. And then they recognize that there's something amiss. And it's maybe not so much that something's missing, but there's a level of satisfaction or they feel a kind of hunger, a sort of spiritual call, or they they don't um, feel like they're really embodying a, themselves to be the fullest expression of who it is that they might be uh, yeah. by receiving, asking for what it is that they want, whether that's monetarily um, in the bedroom with their partner, in their family dynamic, where they're living, how they're showing up, whatever it might be. They're not asking. They don't know how to receive. And they're not really being a full embodiment of who they are here to be in life, which isn't necessarily um, a role or a title that goes on a on your business card, right? It's, it's yeah. a felt sense of satisfaction, the rigor of fully expressing yourself, right? Whether that's at a family reunion or giving a TED talk, right? And anywhere yeah. in between. And so, um, and let me know if I'm answering your question. So I think it is, it's a felt sense. It's an, it's an embodied experience. And it's that willingness of walking around with this gentle um, light of self-awareness where you're willing to shine that light on the parts of you that you would prefer not to look at, you know, mm. parts of you that um, shame yourself, that bully yourself, that are hard on yourself that are siphoning off your energy, your power, right? They're not really allowing you to say exactly what it is that you want to say as a business coach, as mm-hmm. a CEO, because that's that early childhood. Oop, I better be quiet because mommy and daddy are going to be mad if I say this, right? Um, and so it's, a, it's an intuitive process of becoming more and more fully who you are. Did I answer your question? Being aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that answers it. You mentioned about receiving. Mm. What do you what have you noticed about receiving that uh are we culturally or generally or with your clients? That I know that's something Jamie and I have had to work on more. Like it was not necessarily that we were like the world's best givers, but we were much more comfortable with giving mm-hmm. than we were receiving. 
Yeah. Uh, anything you have to share on that? Yeah, we suck at receiving, I think, you know, culturally. We're much more comfortable in the giving posture and the receiving is the divine feminine, right? That's the feminine quality okay. of being open to receive. And so many of us, we walk around the world wanting, I want whatever, a bigger house, a nicer car, more money, more love, more intimacy. I want, I want, I want. Well, if you're not, if there's not a receptacle to receive that, it doesn't, it can be there right in your face and you're not going to receive it. And it's not a hmm. mindset game about gratitudes, right? Like I went through that stage of like writing all my gratitudes every day, which is a very like heady cognitive experience. Mm -hmm. And real receiving is an embodied somatic practice of being available for the present moment, hmm. right? Really being in the present moment in this back body that you and I talked about before, Kevin, which is in this present moment, you know, I do this with my body. It's like opening up your vessel, your bowl to receive the gaze of your beloved, to receive the wealth that's coming in through your bank account or through time, right? Time wealth, freedom wealth. There's so many ways that we find wealth. And how is it that I receive and feel the goodness of it and allow it to land in my body and to, to feel what that feels like what the sensations of it. You know, most people think their feelings. They don't even feel their feelings because they think grief, sadness, pain, suffering, and then they go to the narrative around it and they're not feeling the sensation of it. And so where I start with my clients is helping them drop into their physical somatic body and then finding where is it that they can be open or receptive to literally like 30 seconds of self-touch that okay. and to feel the sensation of warm skin on warm skin of softness and and be open to that you know and i think part of why it is that we're so terrible at receiving or one we're not taught and two most people are so anxious and so up here in their head and so front body right in this posture of like, I'm behind, I'm late. There's so much to do that mm. they're just pushing forward. We, you know, myself included until the last few years are just pushing forward, right? And so, um, you know, it's why it is that this is such an intimate practice to uh, come into relationship with your, your own body and your being in these new ways. I have, you say something and I have like three questions. So first of all, somatic what is i'm not familiar what does that mean yeah it's just body so there's okay. you know somatic therapy is a bodied centered way of doing therapy rather than there's narrative therapy that's about okay. stories that you tell in your mind and then somatic is is really body and a lot of um the work with the soma your body is a is around sensation right hot okay, got it. cold texture temperature those kinds of things okay so when you say front energy, I, I really got the visual of, you know, moving forward. Mm -hmm. And like when we do muscle testing, you know, you, yes, yes is forward, mm -hmm. all of that. I really feel that. Can you tell us a little more about back energy? Yeah. So the back body, right, when we come into our back body, we're in the present moment. So when I do this with my clients, it's a practice of 
Uh, I invite them into relationship with their breath and feeling their energy almost pooling into the back of their body, the back of their spine. Sometimes I meet with my clients um, or on you know, headsets, things like that. So we're not on the screen. So I have them lying on the sofa or on their bed or in a chair where they're lying their head back and can feel literally the back of their head, the energy just dropping back there, back of your neck, back of your shoulders, all the way down the back of your sits bones, your buttocks, and, and feeling that energy, inviting that energy to move. And even as you or your listeners are receiving this to feel what it feels like just to shift the volume. That's what you're doing is you're turning up the volume on the sensations of the back of your body, which changes your energy field, right? Like we're Mm. just energy. And so you can feel that difference. And when you're in your back body, then you're more likely to be in this present moment, which is where everything is happening is right here. And You can feel if I were to say, Kevin, let's get on your email so you can go through the emails that you need to, you know, clear out. It's like front body. Here we come. Right. We can feel that energy shift into I have to do this thing. There's nothing wrong with doing. I love doing. I love checking off a list. And most of us have so much of a relationship with our doing that we don't have a relationship with our being, which means we don't have a relationship with that receptivity, with pleasure desire and all of those are components to being a full expression of your unique creative self right as opposed to here i go doing the things i have all the letters behind my name and yet i don't experience the kind of satisfaction joy connection a meaning that i thought that i would at this stage of life right got it yeah i i so when jamie was in one year um, you have a monthly, I believe meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was in there and you talked about this and then she brought it back. And I, I guess what I experienced thinking about more back energy was just more of a calm mm-hmm. in, um, in the present moment. Like, and like I was practicing it when I was feeling some fear come or when I was anxious about something and just like, okay. And it does, it does really shift your whole mental mm-hmm. energy your body energy, of course, but even your mental energy to be like, you know what? I got this. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my mentor coach who I learned this practice from, um, she would tell me to even, you know, if I felt stressed or dysregulated during the day and feel that front body, she'd say, lay down on the floor in your office for 30 to 60 seconds and, and breathe and come into your back body. Right. And so it's a very active process for sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing the energy, how, how much energy can affect us and how much we get to choose about energy. And, uh, yeah, I'm hearing, hearing even more about that from you. You know, I, I'll share an experience I had recently. Um, I, I had a singing lesson. I, I, I've attempted to take on being a professional singer in barbershoppers mm-hmm. and, um, for over a year, I was told by everyone that was around me, and especially the people that were conducting and helping me, you know, you need to sing forward. And I, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do this, you know, like, and and there's no change because I couldn't get it until mm-hmm. someone actually literally put his hands on my cheeks and just all he did while I was singing, all he did is just point mm-hmm. my his hands forward, and suddenly I heard it, 
And from that moment that I heard the difference in projecting my voice versus having it in the back of my head, mm. I now understand what they were trying to tell me for a year. It's so interesting mm. how sometimes like words don't quite communicate what the feeling does. Mm -hmm. And now I can easily project. Anyway, in my mind, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about that and just realizing how much different it is, how much different it feels to have back energy, to uh, step into being empowered in our life. I, I'm just feeling what you're saying. And, it, and it's, mm -hmm. it's so different than, oh, I have to check my email and then I got to make some calls and I've got this long list and that energy is just so draining. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there. It is. And you said a couple of things. One, the power of having a guide, right? Like you knew people were saying to you, just project your voice, but that guidance, right? Yep. It's That's the difference between understanding it, like knowing, and then knowing how, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much information nowadays. Most of us know, like the people I work with, they know they've been to yoga and mindfulness, meditation and coaching and all the things but if you don't have a guide, right, to show you how you need those kind of bumpers to, to create um, that meaningful somatic expression in your own being and body, then, whoa, here we go, right? Which is, it's really cool that you felt that, you had such a felt sense of it. And yes, we live in a culture where we're trained to be anxious and depleted, you know, all of our mm -hmm. notifications going off and our red lights on our phones and you know, the, the quiet fear, you know, that happens around so many other things in the world and not yes. having enough. And I need to have this much money in the bank account at this age. And if I don't, what does that mean? You know, it's just this, it's not even low level. I used to say low level, but it's, it's like yeah, it's, a crescendo yeah. of it. And so um, it's not in my world, we're not battling or combating anything. It's like an initiation. Like, oh yeah, I know all that's out there and I get to decide to live from my back body. I get to decide not to choose the victim consciousness that instead I'm going to choose a consciousness surrounded by pleasure. You know, my word for the year is pleasure first. I made a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder, can I continue to have the successful business that I have had for many years with pleasure first being my guiding, you know, force with everything, um, you know, and so far three months in so good. And so that's been pretty radical. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So I'm feeling, I'm thinking a little bit about addicts and okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. I have a podcast, but <laughs> I'm kind of guessing that a lot of addicts mm -hmm. would be able to understand what you're saying and how it affects them in life mm. because behind the addiction is trauma mm. behind the trauma is you know a lot of different emotions that we're not listening to like anxiety um well i would say before but probably after the trauma you know um and very much as part of the addiction is, is there's there's just not a listening mm. so i guess what i'm feeling and uh what's coming to me is just, uh, you know, bringing into consciousness of our listener what Jenny's saying, that there is so much more available to especially the feelers in the audience that are feeling, have, you know, from your addiction that what you weren't feeling, right? Like we've learned that as we've gotten through 
that process, we've learned what we weren't feeling. Now, you know, in this conversation, experience uh, maybe even what you're not feeling right now Mm -hmm. and think about what would happen if you had someone that, that could work through that with you, that could help you experience more of what you're you're not even acknowledging in the moment. Mm -hmm. For most of us, when we have addictions, and I think all of us have addictions, whether we identify as an addict or not, whether it's shopping or avoiding, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is, that it's an escape from feeling like being in the soma of your body, right? Being in the experience. And we have... Uh, so many opportunities to escape ourselves. And then we don't actually even know who we are, right? And so we cobble together some outward facing version of ourselves that often is amazing and life at the party and everybody loves us and I'm so great. But that interior space is where the gold is. Right. And, and again, as I see it, none of us are victims to this. All of us have made choices to come to a certain place at a certain time. And we get to, uh, at least the, the people who I work with, choose to see their life as an, an, through the lens of an initiatory process. Like this challenging thing is initiating me into a fuller version of me. Right. Um, and but yeah, I think it's a powerful uh, shift in the frame. Uh, because it's a way that we can really reclaim the wholeness of ourselves um, and to invite in someone who's willing to shine the light on parts of us that we can't see ourselves, which is why we hire coaches and, you know, guides, mentors, whoever it might be. So it's a big world on the other side of um, victimhood. You know, like <laughs> there's just, there's so many, like you think about it from a victim standpoint or an addict standpoint, which is a type of victim, right? Like, basically we're a victim of our own choices we're trying to cope and get away from what the real problem is Mm -hmm. through something else in that state of mind you're like oh you know i really understand the world but then when you step into this whole um i'm gonna be myself i'm gonna connect to who i am i'm going to um choose what i want in life all those things like it's just so expansive there's Mm -hmm. so so many options um there's so many it's like even even with just like energy work, there's so many different approaches. There's like almost an unlimited number of people or approaches and then all the people within the approach. For me, the I think the thing that's important that I've realized is like, who are we called to work with um, in our experience? And, and find those people, like mm-hmm. believe that you can be attracted to them, that they're attracted to you, that that they're there in the moment when you need it. And mm-hmm. Jenny's that person for you, you know, reach out. We'll have our information on the podcast and the show notes. But that's the important part is like, who are we, who are we supposed to meet on our journey? Mm-hmm. And how is that going to expand our existence, our awareness, our, our mind about what the possibilities are? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really multiples, right? Like multiple upon multiple of, understanding and even awareness and and like your word pleasure or joy love all those things it's very expansive thank you yes and i also recognize the the importance of your listeners anyone who's listening who's a coach or a therapist guide healer whatever the value and the importance it's actually quite critical that 
all of us who do this kind of work are really clear about who we are so Mm -hmm. that the people out there who we can be of best service to can find us. And part of over my, you know, 20 years of being an entrepreneur and defining myself outside of kind of this standard, I'm a therapist, you know, way that I, how I started working is being courageous enough to speak what it is that I do so that I can have a greater impact and really draw in the exact person. And yeah. because I'm not good for everyone, nor should I be, right? You know, yes. that the coach, yeah. if you're good for everyone, you're good for no one. I take a lot of cues from the natural world. And so I pay attention to like plants and trees and certain flowers attract certain insects, right? And so there's this beautiful mutuality when the flower is just being the flower and their particular pollen draws a particular insect. So both are being fed and nourished when they're both fully in bloom as who and what it is that they are. And it's the same for us. And when I hide my flower, because I'm like, there aren't any insects for me, you know, there are no people, there are no clients who are going to come. It's, it's detrimental to the collective. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. but, but that opening requires something of us, right. It's vulnerable mm-hmm. to have a podcast, to ask for what it is that you want to get paid to, to speak truthfully about what you do or who you are. But all of that is part of our, are flowering, right? Are becoming. Mm, that's beautiful. I like that. I like that example. I want to bring up about enable, like the other part of the other side of the addiction is the enabling. And I've heard this a little more recently with a couple of people I've been talking with. Again, it's reminding me. So as someone who's worked with women a lot, I'm not saying you haven't worked with men. I'm, I'm sure you have, but like what what can you tell us uh, about any experiences you've had working with an enabler? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of things from you, but I'm wondering what you would take around enablement and what you've seen. Wow. Pull up a chair. There's so much, right? <laughs> good. I got, um, a, I, got, and, I got a good spot here. <laughs> and, and how we enable. So I'll speak specifically about women. Um, I do work with men and couples and have for many years. But since the question's about women, and, and this is relevant to your audience, men and women both, that, you know, part of what is so interesting is we can unconsciously be creating the exact thing that I don't want to be creating in my relationship. Right. So what I hear the most from women who I work with is my partner, my husband's like a little boy or he's Mm -hmm. not showing up. It's like having a third child, right. Mm -hmm. This kind of thing. And you know, what I say to women is stop treating him like a child then. Right. Because there's this enabling again, whether it's around addiction or around, He's not being responsible or he's not showing up in the bedroom the way I want, whatever it is to turn that lens back on ourselves to look at how am I an active co-creator in this dynamic, right? Because I'm a proponent of 100% accountability. I don't just like wake up one day and all of a sudden I'm married or I'm in a relationship with someone. Yeah. Like, oh, I made choices along the way and often for, um, people who are enabling, there's an unconscious choice to create familiarity, security, control, keeping the system locked in the known, even if it's dysfunctional, because at least then I know it, right? Um, I don't have to be threatened by change. And, you know, our ego 
doesn't particularly like change. It would rather stay in the cave with the, you know, fire breathing dragon, because at least I know the dragon and leave the cave because I don't know what's out there. Right. So I'm going to be in the cave and complain about the dragon and say the dragon's terrible, even though the door is wide open. (laughs) Right. Yes. Um, And so it's, you know, it's just two sides of a different coin and we, we all dance with it in one way or the other. Um, It's not one person's fault. The dragon's the dragon because somebody's there to enable that partnership. Right. So uh, I'm a big fan of having standards and boundaries, right? When I have a standard around how the relationship is going to go, then I don't have to go running around with boundaries, you know, hitting my partner over the head with boundaries because I had standards stepping into that relationship. Most of us don't have standards, or if we have a standard, we drop it because I don't want to hurt their feeling, right? This is where it is that women can treat men like little boys. I don't want to say it because he'll get mad. To which I say, he's a grown ass man. Let him get mad. He can deal with his anger. No, he can't because this, that, and the other thing will happen. And so then the collapsing, that torquing in the fire hose happens. And then it keeps the system in a state of of non-growth, right? So we're fixed in this collapsed state. I Mm. could go on, but I'll No, I can feel... Just thank you for being with us. I feel like your story in the work you're doing, you can feel it in what you say. You know what I've what I've noticed with people that have done this for a long time, there's there's your language and the language that you use is is backed up by who you're being. There's been a couple women that that we've um talked to recently that really step into this what what a lot of people are uncomfortable with, you know, around around sex, around a lot of even trauma that happened physical trauma that happened. And um, I just really want to celebrate what you're doing and how you're changing lives, women that are trapped in that victimhood, enablement, whatever, and, and, and the men that are in that same relationship. There's just so much work that can be done here. There's so many generations of trauma and, and hurt that, you know, it's like we keep adding on it and we need to go the other way for a, a while here. We've got plenty of uh, options now. We've got a lot of lot of openness that we didn't have before. And so thank you very much for what you're doing for the world. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so Anything much. you want to share at the end? Mm. Well, just to, you know, part of my practice is to to keep things light and enjoyable. We can do this kind of initiatory work. We can look at like doggone it, look at me, you know, being a martyr, being, you know, the queen of resentment, uh, being, you know, saddled with this addiction, whatever it might be, victim consciousness, but we don't have to be hard on ourselves. There's no, it doesn't serve us to beat ourselves up or to be down on why didn't I learn this 10 years ago? Um, My approach is much lighter. And so I invite your audience, just be light with it. Like it can be significant without being a big deal, right? And as soon as we're aware of whatever our pattern is, like, hooray, now you get to find a way shower to walk you that path. And and that's the next joyous step is finding someone who feels like they really align with who you are. There's so many people, like you said, out there, Kevin, 
um, to be of service in a variety of ways. And you get to have it the way you like it. You know, look around and find someone who really connects up with you. Any of your women in the audience, I do have a free salon that Jamie, you know, came to that you mentioned earlier in the show. And you can go to sparkyourtransformation.com to register for free. And I do that every month for women. And we have dynamic conversations about transformation and like the real stuff of being human. So would love to have them there. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right, Jenny, we appreciate your time and uh, all the best to you in the future. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.